I made it. Oh my god. It's like a stupid, ridiculous, machismo, dumb thing that I do that my prostate really doesn't appreciate. Yo, hey, uh, what's the road? <laughs> nah, you know what I mean? They always said, hey, you go to LA when somebody tells you they need you. That was a different, that joke has a different ending. All right, he's just kidding. We're gonna let him get away with that. These are the jokes. Don't forget one. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of In the Springs. I'm your host, Ryan Lowry. Thanks for tuning in. After an unplanned hiatus over the summer, it's really, really great to be back on track with the podcast. Uh, my guest today is stand-up comedian Matt Golightly. Uh, Matt and I connected at Looney's Comedy Corner on Thursday, September 17th. Coincidentally, this was the same night of the Broncos and Chiefs game. Uh, so here's a little day in the life of a working road comic. Uh, Matt drove straight through from Austin, Texas to Colorado Springs, about 13 hours, in order to be in town and on time for the 8 o'clock show on Thursday night. He arrived to a completely empty club because evidently a Week 2 division game is way more important than live comedy. And the best part, Matt was completely unfazed. I uh, really enjoyed having a chance to meet Matt and loved his infectious optimism. Uh, just a good, uh, solid guy. Uh, so without further ado, please sit back and enjoy, because comedian Matt Golightly is in the Springs. That burp out of the yeah, way. That was Guinness. Excellent, excellent. All right, so I got uh, Matt Go Lightly. You are in the Springs, my friend. I made it. <laughs> you made it. Oh my God! I just saw your Facebook post <laughs> where you drove uh, 13 hours from Austin. <laughs> yeah, I left my apartment at 1:30 in the morning. And how's that going for you? Deal. And uh, yeah. I'm never doing that ever again. <laughs> you are living the dream, my friend. <laughs> oh, my God. So, I mean, actually, it's funny because earlier this year, I drove to L.A. and back, uh, which is like 27 hours. You oh, know? my God. So, yeah. So, I saw that come up on my GPS, and I was like, 13 hours? That's nothing. <laughs> that was straight through. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I don't want to get too hung up, but this is part of being a comedian that most people really don't tune into. Right. So is this a, a typical MO for you where yeah. you're road dogging it like no, that? No, I usually try to, because I'm 39 now, and I've been doing this for 10 years, and I usually try to do that at least once a year, like an obnoxious drive like that, just to prove that I still can. It's like a <laughs> stupid, ridiculous, machismo, dumb thing that I do that my prostate really doesn't appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not a fan of it at all. Well, you know, I think one kind of hidden gem from, from interviewing comedians, and this is a, a tip for any listener out there, if you're looking to buy a vehicle, talk to a comedian. Is that fair to say? Oh, we will talk about cars. I own a 2008 Dodge Caliber with 317,000 miles on it. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's the, fantastic. The best part is, uh, I guess it was six months ago in Austin, someone broke into my car. 
Uh, someone broke into a Dodge Caliber. With 300,000 miles on it. Yeah, like who, what did they think they were going to find in there? Exactly. Well, well, that's a good question. What would they find in there? <laughs> I'll tell you exactly what they found. They found my entire suitcase. That's what they found. I have a suitcase in there. So uh, what they got was my passport, uh, the pills I take for my gallbladder, uh, my contacts, my probiotics, right? uh, my shoes, my stage shoes, my nice stage shoes, and a belt. As oh as, and, and dirty clothes. The rest of it was all dirty clothes, fortunately. I had gone to the beach even on one of the trips, so it was just dirty clothes. So what that means is there's a crackhead in Austin, Texas, walking around with <laughs> 2020 shoes. vision. He's at the airport getting on a flight to Jamaica. And he's with like, really my nice stomach shoes feels on. great. <laughs> I should have stopped. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, yeah, so let's back really up real quick. Now, you've, uh, you've been at this for, for 10 years. Yeah, uh, I guess technically we're in year 11 right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got your start uh, down in Texas? Yeah, I was a San Antonio guy. I started in San Antonio, Texas at a little club called River Center Comedy Club. Uh, a total hobby. It was something I had just, it's one of those things where you're always kind of like, huh, like I wonder, you know? And I had always thought, oh, one of these days I'm going to do it. And I finally set a date. I set it on my birthday. I've set a date, and I go, you know what? That year, I'm, I'm going to do it. And that forced me to actually write material, if you will, what I thought at the time was material. <laughs> and uh, so I went down there. I did my first open mic. And people tell me, and I know what they mean, like, you're either really going to like it the first time you do it, or you're going to hate it. And I loved it. Like, really? I only did. I'm talking, I mean, I did, what, three minutes? I mean, it's open mic. So, you know. Yeah. I did, like, three minutes or whatever. But still, I was just like, that was awesome. And I had never really minded doing public speaking ahead of time. Yeah, I had done other stuff, but never stand-up. But I didn't think I'd like it that much. But I still was never going to do it as a career. I just met a bunch of other comics. Within six weeks of my first open mic, I was hanging out with other comics. Every week after the open mic, we would go hang out at like a restaurant and sit there and write up, you know, help each other with jokes, like punch things up. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually the part of comedy that I've fallen in love with is the writing part. Actually. So now, b before that first time on stage, why was it even on your radar? Were you a fan of comedy or a consumer of, of stand-up? Yeah, that's the other thing, too. I wasn't a big stand-up comedy fan, necessarily. I was more of a sketch comedy fan when I was a kid. Uh, kids in the Hall, like Saturday Night Live. Sure. Um, you know, that sort of thing. The State. Like, I used to love shows like that. So if anything, I would have thought about gotten in that area but what ended up happening was i was writing for a sports column for the college paper and i would always put little silly jokes in there just one-liners just silly things to you know kind of be amusing so and then i was also writing for the spurs website the san antonio spurs website at the time and i would put little silly things out there too and i would we always wondered we're like is that just funny to us as sports fans or would that be funny to everyone and people had talked about maybe like, you know, hey, you should try, you should go, you know, where. And I used to basically called the comedy club one day and I was like, how would I get in front of a group of people and just ask them if they think something's funny? <laughs> and they were like, oh, the open mic's it's Friday. It's called open mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we do an open mic every Friday at five o'clock. You can come in, you can do three minutes or you can do, you know, 10 minutes, depending on how many comics show up, isn't that whatever. So I literally like wrote three things, like three, I guess they're bits. I know that now at the yeah. time, I didn't know what they were. I was just like, okay, here's the three things I want to talk maybe about. Maybe you remember those three bits or at least yeah. the premise or. I remember that a lot of them were Spurs jokes, and I remember they did pretty well. Um, they were about kids' games that we wanted to put on the website, San Antonio Spurs website. And, uh, I mean, this is, of course, like, this is a long time ago, but uh, the, the kids' games were the Avery Johnson word search. Avery Johnson was their point guard, and uh, he was from Louisiana, so he pronounced things very, like, ethnically. And so we were going to spell the words in the word search the way he pronounced them. <laughs> so <sort of> phonetic. <laughs> yeah, so it was very phonetically... <laughs> 
you know, which is a funny idea. And sure enough, Spurs fans thought it was funny. Oh, there was another one, Tim Duncan. Um, he always had different facial hair. Like he would have like one game, he'd have a little goatee. The next game, he didn't. He'd have like, you know, he'd shave his head one game, and the next game, he'd let it grow out. So the, the, the game was it was like a woolly bully. Those things, the shavings, the metal <laughs> right, shavings that you can right. you could move the hair out and change his hair every day. You know, on the website. And the other one was uh, Sean Elliott played for him at the time, and he had a, it was actually a really good story. He had had a kidney. Um, failure, and so he had to get a kidney from his one of his from his brother, No Noel, I think it was his brother. But anyway, he got a kidney donated to him. He'd already had he wore a brace on one elbow and both knees because he had had reconstructive surgery on one knee and, and an injury on the other one. So basically, it was the Sean Elliott operation game. <laughs> was what he wanted to find on the website. And those are like, and that's what, you see how like as a sports fan, like, and at the time, those are really funny to sports fans. But right, we were right. like. And to San Antonio sports fans. Yeah. Those are really you yeah. know, specific to, yeah, to the very, region. Right? So that's what we wondered. We were like, well, who else thinks that's funny? Because, I mean, I knew from putting in the column and stuff that people would email back and be like, ha-ha, that was funny, blah, blah, blah. But they're sports fans. So I had a bunch of Tiger Woods jokes and Spurs jokes. In fact, I did all sports jokes probably for the first, oh, I don't know, pretty much all sports jokes for the first, I don't know, six months or so. Because yeah. that's what I was writing about all the time. And then I found out that with comedy, you get that incredible instant feedback where you can pick – Anything you want, something that happened in the news that day, you can write monologue jokes about it, and you can go on stage that night and throw them out there, and you find out right away. Okay, oh, that was as funny as I thought it was. Right, right. That one, not so much. <laughs> and I, I've loved that freedom ever since. Like that's been the thing that I've loved to do. Like you'll st- I mean, even this week, if people come see me at Looney's this week, what you're going to find is I probably open the show with local jokes that are something that's happened locally here recently or whatever or things you know, and then and then you'll find lots of very topical. Stuff, whatever's in the news, we're probably going to have at least references, if not whole bits about. Right, it. right. Well, now you had mentioned when you first started doing stand-up that you didn't really have a plan. That yeah, this is kind of what I want to do. How how did that evolve? I mean, oh. here we are, ten years later, and you're doing it. Oh, here's the funny part. I'm all I was ever going to do was host an MC at that local club at River Center. I was going to work for the Spurs, or you know, or whatever, have a job in that field, and I was just going to do that on the weekend and be like, yeah, sometimes I do stand-up down at the club. So I start doing that, and, and when you're the local MC, you work with a lot of comics who are traveling, and there were a couple of local guys. In fact, one guy from right here in this town, uh, Chris Fonseca. Absolutely, yeah. Chris Fonseca, he um, spent a lot of time in San Antonio. His family down there, he played the club quite often. He was one, and then another uh, guy by the name of Rick Gutierrez. And one time I did a, I did a set at this Midnight Madness show, and uh, all of a sudden there's this guy in front of me, and he's like, hey, you. And I'm like, who, me? Like, who are you talking? He's like, yeah. He goes, uh, I want you to get a tape of you doing that for 25 minutes, and you're going on the road with me next year. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's all I said. Like, you know, and of course, he gave me a bunch of other advice about taping myself, and right, not right. just audio tape, but videotape. So he gave me a lot of really good advice. But I mean, I had only talked to this, you know, this guy like one other time. I hardly even knew who he was. And all of a sudden, he's giving me all this great treasure trove of advice or whatever. But the funniest part is I go to the manager after we get done talking, and the manager's name was Scott Garrett. And I go, hey, uh, What's the road? <laughs> like, I didn't even really know <laughs> how that worked. Like, I knew that these comics that were headliners traveled, obviously. Right, right. But I didn't know that, you know what I mean? Like, I was so new to it. Now, how, how far in were you at that point? I had been doing it maybe a year, but it was all kind of sporadic because I still was working and I was still finishing college, actually, at the time. Yeah. In fact, one of the gigs I went and did with Rick Gutierrez was in Lubbock, Texas at a club called Froggy Bottoms. Well, my college graduation was that Saturday. And I was like, well, I'm either going to go to that stage over there or I'm going to go to this stage over there. And I actually went to Lubbock and did Froggy Bottoms instead of my college graduation. No kidding. Because I fell in love with comedy that quickly where I was like, this is amazing. Now, what, a, what about it, though? I think that's the, the part that is puzzling to people because I think everything that goes with comedy can be awful. 
you know, being right. on the road, being by yourself, hanging out in smoky, you know, all that kind of stuff. Oh, so yeah. what about it was like, yep, this is, this is my deal. Well, I can see how, like, yeah, I, I don't know. If you don't stay creative, um, if you're not in it for that reason, um, I could see how you could get very, very jaded very quickly um, and fall into some really bad habits. And you know what I mean? Like, I could see it could be bad, for detrimental for your health. Like, there's a lot of things about the road. It could even be dangerous. <laughs> some sure. of the gigs that we do, I mean, it could right, literally right. be dangerous. The hours you spend on the road, the driving. Um, and then the other thing, I have no responsibilities. You know, I'm 39. I have no wife, no kids. You know what I mean? So I can afford to do things like that, you know, where I can be like, hey, you know what? I'm only responsible for me. So, hey, if I take this giant risk and it blows up in my face, whatever. You right. know what I mean? <laughs> Trust me. Yeah. If I had responsibilities, if I had kids or a wife or something like that, then I would have to do things differently. I would still do stand-up in, in a sense, but I would have to do it differently. But to this day, I can take gigs sometimes the fun of it. Like, I'd be like, oh, you know what? I'm not going to make much money on this one. But hey, you know, it's in the Bahamas. You know? <laughs> right. See right. ya. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I, that, having that freedom. That's the other thing, too. Yeah. It, it, that's, that's the thing. Oh, and the travel. That's what did it for me, too, is I could also understand if you get in a rut where you're just going to the same clubs over and over and over for a decade, then also you might be like, oh, God, I, you know, I got to go back, you know, to you know, to, to Fort Wayne or whatever, right? Which, by the way, Fort Wayne's a great club, actually. But the point being, if you just right, went right. there just all kinda... the time, I'm always, every year, there's always new clubs that I break into or new comics that I start working with, and I always felt like I was advancing. Every year, something happens where it's like, hey, like, the gigs are getting better, I'm getting better, uh, my fi financially I'm doing better, or, you know, artistically, I feel like I've made these things, um, a TV credit happened or, you know, or, you know, something, you know what right, I mean? Right. Like, or, you know, a big, you know, a bigger credit happened. Um, you know, so yeah, every, as long as I feel like I'm advancing, I've never had a year where I felt like I was like, nah, you know what I mean? And I still, to this day, like I, I joke around about driving here, but I didn't get in the car in my apartment at one thirty in the morning and go, oh God, I have to drive to Colorado Springs. I didn't. I was like, hey, I'm doing loonies this weekend, <laughs> right. you know? And then, yeah, I fast forward 12 and a half hours. <laughs> And I was like, I wasn't listening to music for entertainment. I was listening to it for survival. Right. <laughs> like, oh, good. So bad. Well, you know, and I think a lot of folks don't realize that that stand-up comedy is, is unique in the sense that in addition to you being a stand-up comedian, you're also a booker and a travel agent and a, a merchandise and a marketer, all that stuff. Do you enjoy that part of it as well? Or is that something that's, you know, come naturally to you as part of this this career, I guess. Yeah, you know, that's the other thing, too, I noticed is, yeah, I guess, I didn't even realize it until you're right, until I started doing it, but I've never been one to be bad about, you know, getting new headshots done, you know, all the things you have on this to-do list, right, you have to do. In fact, um, I actually run a school back home, a TABC certification school, I have comics go do training for restaurants and stuff like that, and then, of course, booking my own shows, Texas Best Comics on Tour, like, I actually, yeah, I enjoy that, that idea, because when I was working for the Spurs, we helped put events on, too, you know what I mean, that was one of my responsibilities when I was, you know, working with the Spurs and helping out down there, you know, when we were do the, when we get in the playoffs or we have, like, a post-season celebration, you know, we'd all help out, like, getting the media, where they, all the information they needed and setting up parking and all that, and actually putting events like that together has actually been fun for me, like, I actually enjoy that sort of thing, so, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it was something that was hardwired into me that I didn't even realize until I started getting it, because that's what I'm saying, I didn't know anything about stand-up, I thought... I don't know. I don't know what I thought. I just thought, I thought Jerry Seinfeld toured and I thought, you know, comics like that, you know, and then of course the guys that were coming to the club, the headliners, but I just didn't, I didn't know that you could tour as a feature act back then and, you know, go be in a different city every week. Oh, and I certainly didn't know there was USO work where they could send me to Korea and Japan. 
Like, you know, that's insane. Like, now, when did you start doing that? How did, uh, what was I, that experience like I've been for doing you? it four years. It was in my fourth year. And now I get contacted by an agency who's booking a stuff in Korea and Japan. And I've been there three times since, by the way. Um, and they're right. Like, in, my, in my, 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 my casual life, like my civilian life, if you will, I don't know. Why was I ever going to go to Tokyo? Right, you know right. I, mean? I mean, maybe. You never know. But, I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been able to get this map in my bedroom with pins and all these crazy places, you know, and I'm almost done every state now. I'm only down, I think I have like four left that nice. I haven't been to. You know, so, that, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I always try to set realistic goals every year, and there's always broader goals that you always want to be moving towards. Um, in fact, yeah, uh, the biggest one that I met, I'm finally making the move to L.A., like finally after all these years. No kidding. Now, when are you pulling the trigger on that? Um, and why? I, I was always told, and I was, I was given, once again, good advice by comics like Chris Fonseca and Rick Gutierrez and those guys from the very beginning. I've been very fortunate. I've gotten good advice from a lot of good comics. And they told me, they go, look, a lot of people move to L.A. too soon. They don't go out there with a plan. They always said, hey, you go to L.A. when somebody tells you they need you. And that's what's finally happened is um, I've been doing some work. I work with Rick Gutierrez all the time. He's good friends with Gabriel Iglesias. He owes his opening act on the Unity Through Laughter Tour. So I work with Rick a lot. So through him, I've been able to do a few shows here and there with Gabe over the years. And I'm really, what I love about comedy, once again, the collaboration of it, is watching right. another comics act and being like, hey, that was a great bit. Have you thought about going this direction or this direction? Or what about this punchline or this tag? Have you thought about that? I've been doing that with Rick for years, and he's been doing the same thing with me. Well, he does that for Gabriel. So when I started working with those guys, I started doing that with Gabriel. And all of a sudden, um, there was a reality show they're working on called Fluffy Breaks Even. We taped six episodes. Well, when he saw my input and the notes that I had about the episode that we watched together, he was like, hey, you know what? Why don't you come on set and be on set and you know, kind of throw out some ideas if you see some things that could be improved or whatever. And it was just an absolutely fascinating experience. So we start the second season of shooting in January. We're going to do six more episodes. And so I know that's the job that I'm going to be doing for sure. And then I'm working on other stuff like finding like other writing right, gigs. Right. But I'm going to go out there for sure for those six months and... I mean, because someone finally said, like, hey, you have a reason to be out here, so come right, out here. Because right. how many guys move out there and they have to get a job to pay the bills that's not comedy related? And then they're doing sets at night and just kind of hoping for the best. And, you know, I've seen a lot of comics do it. And it's worked out for some, too. Don't get right. me wrong. So, especially some Texas guys. Oh, man, when I go to L.A. now, like, oh, it's all my old Texas friends, man. Nick Guerra, Dustin Ibarra, Justin Foster, Mark Agee. Like, I walk in, uh, Sean Halpin's out there. Like, all these guys, I walk in and I'm like, oh, my God, I might as well be at home like that's crazy yeah it's pretty I mean, cool and it's and it kind of ties into what you were saying about you know going to tokyo or mm -hmm. it's just another experience where you can put that pin in the map going yeah i worked on a tv show yeah i mean because i think you know the nature of the the of the industry is it's very cyclical you know you're going to work on the show and then two three four years from now that's gone mm -hmm. something else will come up and it's just a matter of being out there and being open and, and you know that sounds kind of hokey or whatever, but being receptive to those opportunities and it's going to pay, pay dividends for you. Yeah, that's what it is. It is. It's all about right time, right place kind yeah. of thing a lot of times. And then, of course, you know, you get yourself in those positions and, of course, you've got to, you know, you've got to, whenever you're in that position, you've got to take advantage of it and you got to do well. But, yeah, it's been great. Like, and I mean, oh, man, it's been fun to watch that show. By the way, Fluffy Breaks even starts on October 1st on the Fuse Network. Nice. And the way it works, by the way, it's a great concept. Uh, Gabriel's lost 135 pounds in like the last year and a half. Wow. He's dropped a lot of weight. And so the premise of the show is when they're on tour, say they're in San Diego, they find a cute, kitschy kind of restaurant to eat at in that town. Well, the owner comes out and he's like, "Hey, here's the the meals I'm the, the plates the, the you know the plates I'm most proud of," and they try them all. 
and they burn, they have all these calories. I'm like, well, now we got to find a way to burn this off. So they find in the same city an interesting way to work out to kind of even things out. And like in San Diego, we went to Lucha Libre Taco Shop and ate just delicious, crazy Mexican food. It was awesome. And then we had to go work out with Diamond Dallas Page, the former, we did yoga with DDP. No way. Yeah. And then it was in Vegas, they went to Heart Attack Grill, and then they took a pole fitness class. <laughs> See what I mean? And that's how the show that, works. What a great concept. It's an absolutely man. wonderful concept. So good. Comedy fodder everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, and working with comics, like the comics on the show are obviously Gabriel Iglesias, Rick Gutierrez, Martin Moreno, Alfred Robles, and G. Riley. And they're so easy to write for. Like, that's the other thing, too. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I say that having minimal experience, but it's been fun to, with somebody like Gabriel, you don't have to necessarily be like, hey, here's a punchline or here's a tag necessarily. I mean, that can happen, too. But most of the time, you can just be like, hey, here's another direction. And you can just kind of see. You just turn him you know, loose. Yeah, and, you just see yeah. his eyes kind of light up, and he's like, ah, okay, and then run with it that way. You know, Rick's kind of like that. Gabriel's like that. Like, all the comics on the show are like that, where, like, you can just kind of point them and be like, hey, what about this? And off to the races. So it's been really, really fascinating. And so, yeah, I just feel like, and then, I, I don't know, it just it fits me like a glove. My entire set, my entire life has been designed to show an ability to write jokes. Right, right. Um, yeah, I've never been one to be like, oh, I want the Matt Golightly show. That's never been, I've never been chasing a sitcom. It's never been my thing. But writing for a sitcom? yeah. Definitely. Well, and it sounds like you've got a lot of writing in your background where you said, mm -hmm. you know, doing some work for the for the Spurs and, and right. for uh, University of Texas. Is that? Uh, yeah, University of Texas, San Antonio. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And then, so now, you as a stand-up, are you a pen-to-paper kind of guy, or do you get up there with an idea and then kind of workshop it on stage, or how does that work for you? I've seen comics who do that, who just go up there like, tonight I want to talk about this, and then kind of riff it and come up with material. I am never that. <laughs> now, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, I'll do bare bones. Like, but anything I'm going to talk about on stage, it at least has a setup and at least one punchline right, that I right. theoretically think is going to work. And then, of course, yes, if it does well, then it kind of spawns, you know, off the energy. You can play off of it, and there's other things you can try. But now, I've never been that guy. But, dude, that's what I'm saying. Comics like Rick and comics like Gabriel, they can just be like you know, I think this idea, this concept is funny to me. I'm going to go mine it out on stage. Yeah. And they can not only do it, but they can sometimes kill with it. Right, you right. Know? Whereas me, I mean, I've done that from time to time or whatever, but that's certainly not my MO. Yeah. My MO is very much, um, in fact, you'll see it this week if anybody wants to come to Looney's, like I end up writing like multiple punchlines for all my jokes. If you come to the early show, you're going to hear one punchline that's more appropriate for an early show crowd. Yeah. And then you might come to the second show and hear two other punchlines where you're like, that was a different... That joke has a different ending yeah. because the late show's a little dirtier or whatever, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, like, and that's, you know, I mean, it's very intentional. And also, I've also been fascinated by the psychology of comedy, the psychology of stand up, but just comedy in general, but especially stand up. The idea of like, you, you'll see so many comics go up with, and you'll listen to their material and be like, that's a wonderfully crafted joke but it falls on deaf ears, it doesn't work. Why? Because of the delivery? Because of how they've blocked the joke? They didn't get the audience's trust before they went there? Like, the, I never realized until I got into stand-up just how complicated right. stand-up really is if you want to do it well. It's now, when not. did you start to dissect that, that aspect of it? Because I think that's a good point where you can do a early show Friday, tell a joke, it crushes, same joke, late show Friday, crickets. Right. I mean, so when did you kind of 
you know, really start to get into that that headspace with with the material and, and with the work you're doing. See, that's part of what made me fall in love with stand-up immediately was because I was already doing that. My communications degree in UTSA was about, had a technical emphasis, and it was about reading media and making sure that the message you wanted got into the right hands. That's why I ended up working for the Spurs, writing press releases and, you know, doing post-game quotes like PR work and stuff. Right, right. That's the exact same thing where you're controlling your message and trying to get it, in this case, to Spurs fans, right, and to season ticket holders and this and that. So I've always kind of watched things from that perspective. You know, same thing, watch television the same way, where I'm like, oh, like that was great what they did on that TV show, but it would have been even better if they had done it this way or they could have done it this way. So I've always been fascinated by that. So that's why when I find something like stand-up, I'm like, no one's giving me an assignment. No one's telling me what to write about. I'm in charge of the whole thing. Pat, right. You know, sink or swim, it's all on me. Um, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Like, so I, when I realized that you could have that kind of feedback with an audience because I'm also very like I talk to the crowd a lot like it, it sounds like crowd work but it's really not I mean it's mostly rhetorical Just questions but it is this idea of making them part of the show because that's how you make things work is you right, get the right. audience on your side and you get their trust likability you know what I mean yeah. there's all these buzzwords in comedy that if you're not a comic like a lay person would watch a show and they'd be like oh that guy was funny yeah comics watch a show and they go why was that funny? Right. And that's well, what I'm fascinated that's by. That's kind of my next question. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you're you're getting kind of inside baseball with comedy and really mm -hmm. dissecting it. Do you still enjoy comedy? Can you sit down and enjoy a set and, and laugh like John oh, Q. Yeah. Public? Or do you really Dude. analyze? It's not necessarily laugh out loud as much anymore, but as far as enjoying it, oh, bad comedy, good comedy. <laughs> Sometimes bad comedy. Enjoy both equally, <laughs> trust me. Watching somebody like Bill Burr's latest special yeah, and yeah. watching the way that he's walking down that fine line of like he could push it one little bit too far and could lose people, but he always has that wry little smile on his face where you just like, all right, he's just kidding. <laughs> We're going to let him get away with that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. learning and learning from guys like that. You know, and then also, and then watching young comics, it's so, you'll watch young comics, so they obviously, they obviously saw it. Right, right, All right, they right. heard were the jokes, and they're like, oh, I can do that. Well, There's you might be able to write that, yeah. but writing that and doing that are two different things. And eventually over time, and yeah, hopefully like they grow and they learn as a comic, and they, yeah. maybe they can figure out their own vein to where they can get away with something. But it is fascinating to watch comics be like, oh, okay, you know, I saw Eddie Murphy do this in 19... 88 <laughs> and now I'm gonna go do that and I'm like he didn't just go up one night and start doing that that's not how yeah. it works you know but it's so it's kind of fun to watch and it's also been fun to watch my own journey because I thought when I started I was like like the comics I knew about when I started were like Dana Carvey and Dennis Miller was actually one of my favorite comics I guess when I was a kid so I thought, well, I'm going to be a smart comic too. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to do smart, heady political jokes. But then it's kind of funny how you start to kind of find out your voice. The crowds are kind of going to let you know, and the the road's going to kind of let you know. Like that's really not my voice. You know what I mean? It's still my favorite kind of comedy. Yeah. Like the favorite kind of comedy I like to watch, David Cross stuff like that. Right. Right. Bill Burr. Like it's not the comedy that I do. Yeah. Um, well, and I and I think a crowd can. They can call bullshit, and they they can they can sense authenticity. Mm -hmm. And so, if you are trying to do stuff that's outside of who you are, they they may not be able to put their finger on it, right. but they can go, eh, "It's not hitting. This isn't Matt." Right? They know. Yeah, they can they, they can don't, call on a, it on a conscious level. They don't, but yeah. on a subconscious level, they do, and it's it's fascinating to watch. All right, they're pulling the plug on us, Matt. Oh yeah. By the way, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're good. Oh, he just means there's no show tonight because uh, oh. the Broncos are playing. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Well, before I do cut you loose, man, this is first of all, you know, thanks so much for taking time out to to hang out. Um, the last question I've got, and this is kind of a, a corny question, but but it's something that uh, you know I think is 
is relevant, certainly with the things you've got cooking right now. Looking back on your career, what, what are you proud of? Oh, boy, I think there's a lot of them, really. Because um, there have been moments that I've been standing on a stage somewhere and almost had, like, I don't want to sound cheesy, but almost like an out-of-body experience. When you, like, like the first time I ever got a huge laugh. That was outside of my set. You know, where it was like, before when I first started, you know, where I think I'm like a lot of comics where you have your set list. And you're like, okay, I'm doing 12 minutes tonight. I'm doing 10 minutes tonight. These are the jokes. Don't forget one. This is the order they go in, right? Because you're, and you're nervous. And then I went from, I had one night in Beaumont, Texas of all places, where I'm doing my set. And then some drunk woman says something to me. And I say something back to her. And then she says something to me, and I say something back to her, and it just exploded. Like, outside of the set, it was natural. It was me on stage, not my jokes on stage. Right, right. And it was the first time where I just had this moment, and you got that, you know, that feeling you get where your face gets hot, <laughs> you feel it all over your body, and you're like, oh, okay. Like, it was like, it's like, I would imagine that's what heroin's like. I've never done it, but I would imagine that's what it's like. Um, where you're just like, oh, that was my first hit, I think, of true comedy, yeah. of true stand-up, where I was like, oh, I want this, and I want this often. You know what I mean? Um, so I mean, I think in real, recognizing that, that's also one, and, and realizing that, okay, if I didn't chase that, I would always wonder in the back of my mind. So just taking that risk alone. Because, I mean, dude, I could have took the safe route. I, had a, I was on a pathway to a really good job. You know, I could be the funniest guy working at the Spurs right now. Right, but in the back right. of my mind, I'd always be like, Man, I wonder what would have happened, you yeah. know? So just taking that leap. Same thing with this move to L.A. Like, I'm really glad that I waited as long as I did, but it's still, and now I'm going out there with a plan. But, I mean, you know, but it's still, it's a, it's a leap, you know? I mean, you could go out there and you could fall flat on your face, but yeah. I'm not going to not do it, you know? Like, no one's going to, you know, like, I'm not, I would regret if I didn't, you know? Like, you don't, and when Rick Gutierrez comes up to me and says, hey, you're going on the road with me, I could have said, nah, I better not, man. You yeah. better find somebody else. I didn't. I didn't even know what he meant, <laughs> right. but I knew you didn't say no, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, so that, I think that's the thing I'm most proud of is the fact that same thing with on stage, like I'll take jokes, you know, I'll take a risk with a joke. I'm not an idiot. I won't open with it, <laughs> but I have some crazy idea where I'm like, all right, let's see, let's yeah. see, you know, if I can pull this off or let's see, this is a little, a little dark for me maybe, or it's a little out there, um, you know, but Hey, I'm going to try it. I'm going to put it somewhere in the middle of this set, you know, where I feel like they'll let me get away with it and see what it'll go. So yeah, it's, it's the risk taking. I think that's probably what I'm most proud of because that, that entails all of it. You know, same thing when somebody comes to you and you're like, Hey, we want to send you to another country, to a foreign country, um, you know, you could be like, Oh, that sounds scary. I don't want to leave. Like I know. And I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to go do that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm always up for that kind of thing. So I think that's probably the thing I'm most proud of is, you know, saying no to the things I should have said no to and saying yes to everything else. Nice, man. That's excellent. Yeah. Well, Matt Golightly, it was an absolute pleasure, my friend. I appreciate you being on the show and uh, yeah. enjoy your weekend here at Looney's. I always do, man. That's <laughs> why I drive up here, by the way, so I'll have a car so I can go do all the cool stuff around here. Exactly. I mean, yeah, they but... have planes that fly into this town. <laughs> I know they do, but I'm like, I want my car so I can go all day and do cool stuff. So I'm looking forward to it, man. Excellent. And yeah, excellent. And people can come see us here. We'll be here uh, all week. Excellent. Literally. All right. <laughs> all right. So there you have it. Stand-up comedian Matt Golightly. Uh, big thanks again to Matt for hanging out for a bit at the club, uh, knowing full well that the show had been canceled. Uh, just a, a real class act, and I do appreciate him taking some time out. Thank you to the legendary Looney's Comedy Corner for letting me set up shop in the showroom. And as always, thank you for listening to In the Springs. The In the Springs podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher, or you can follow In the Springs on Twitter at RPL underscore Metajunk. Until next time, I'm Ryan Lowry, and we'll see you again right here in the Springs.